So she said, the reason you shouldn't complain is because if you can see a problem, it's because you have a piece of the solution. Like people who can't see the same problem oh, wow. don't have the ability to contribute to a solution. So I, oh, I just really feel wow. like, you know, I just really feel like what good am I if I don't if I can see the problem, I know I got a way to solve it, but then I don't do the work to give myself the tools to implement that solution. So right now I really believe technology is magic. I believe it's extremely transformational. You could build something that connects people across the globe in a way that humankind has never known before. You can now connect physical devices to the internet and be able to sense the world around you digitally. It's insane what we're capable of doing. And I think, you know, just staying with technology over the years, despite having opportunities to do many other things, it really is because uh, this is the thing that's going to either build up the communities we come from or we're going to get left behind from the solutions that are being built for us the champ is here the champ is here the champ is here I want to give a special thank you to those who are already supporting the show with your monthly subscription. Um, if you're not already supporting the show and you'd like to help make this show possible, tap the link in the episode description or visit anchor.fm backslash code podcast to become a monthly supporter. Hello, devs. Welcome back to episode 11. In these upcoming shows, I'm going to be introducing some of the awesome female developers inside the space. First up, we have X. X is a Army veteran who is currently a senior technical account manager at Microsoft. She has a wealth of experience from startups to the Japan government. Guys, girls, bring in a great warm welcome for X. Hello, devs. Welcome back. Another episode of the 100 Days of Code. I'm super excited for you guys to join. We have a special guest, X. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm always fantastic. How are you doing today, New Orleans? Oh, man, doing phenomenal. Zero, zero complaints. Uh, on this end, how, uh, where, where are you at right now? Right now, I am in Oakland. I am sitting on my balcony, staring out at beautiful Lake Merritt. It's a wonderful day. It's probably one of the last days of heat we're going to have in the Bay Area for the next eight months. So I'm just out here, in, you know, enjoying the good old Silicon Valley sun. De define heat because it is West Coast. So it's like <laughs> 70 degrees over there. <laughs> so define heat. <laughs> So, so in the Bay Area, it's always overcast. Like people come here because you know you see all the movies as a kid of people surfing on the beach in California, and that's Southern California. Like the Bay Area is cold. You know what I mean? It's a it's a very very cold place because it just sits on the ocean. So out here, warm for us is probably like seventy five degrees. That's like getting pretty hot. And then in the summer, you know, occasionally it'll go up to like ninety, but it pretty much sits at the mid to low eighties if it does get that hot. It's pretty cold out here. So what? Well, I guess I guess another question. Define cold. What's the coldest it get? Uh, it depends on where you're at in the Bay Area, but it can go down to around like twenty. 
Okay. Yeah. You know, like right now I'm in South Florida and people are like, oh my God, it's so cold. But you're walking around with shorts on all your way to the beach. <laughs> like, <laughs> I need you to touch it, me some of that sun so I can catch a tan. Like, I need to just like, <laughs> send me like a video or something. Like one of those iMessages with the effects on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely, it's nice out here. Um, you know, because, you know, it's funny too, South Florida it rains. Where I'm at, I, I thought people was over exaggerating, but you know, it rains every single day in the summer for an hour. Mm. And I thought people was like, "Oh yeah, you're just kind of pushing it," and it does. <laughs> and it's, well, that's what and y'all it's like, see, It's like that dude sprinkling salt on the meat in the meme. <laughs> it's like that's exactly what happens. <laughs> right. All the salty people in the Bay Area mad that you have better weather, sprinkling a little rain on it. It's funny, copy. It's so funny because I think he's in Miami too. <laughs> <laughs> he knows. He knows. All right. Um, so, uh, so X man, we've we've been uh, we've been in contact for a while now. Um, you know, and um, mostly because of I I quickly learned. I think the first introduction I got uh, to you was like the first thing they said was like. Yo, she's an awesome developer. Like, she's amazing. <laughs> and it was like, it wasn't nothing. Like, oh, she's a Warriors fan, you know. Yeah, go guys. She works for this company. <laughs> the first thing I heard, like, yo, she's an amazing developer. Um, and so what, what, what do you do now? So at Microsoft right now, I'm an account manager. Day to day, Microsoft has two sides of the business. There's like one side of the business that actually builds the products we all use like Excel, like Word and PowerPoint. And then there's the other side of the business that works with companies all over the world and governments all over the world to actually use those products on a large scale. So at Microsoft, I work on the industry side and I work with about 15 to 20 clients depending on you know what my workload looks like out here in the Bay Area, helping them uh, launch pilots to some of our most experimental technologies as well as just upgrade their day-to-day technologies. So talking like launching pilots of drones, being able to monitor how uh, crops are growing for a vineyard out here, or being able to use IoT oh, wow. to do real-time ship insurance for a different client. So this is very interesting work. Um, I get to see some pretty mundane stuff day to day, but also being able to really see the entire IT architecture um, and not just the like development side of it. You know, uh, when I first started at the company, I was a uh, I was an engineer in our national security group. So I, all I did every single day was just code, 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 code. But I didn't understand like how to, how to really build a whole company around a product that was being coded. Like how do you manage the infrastructure? How do you manage the way people internally communicate to make sure everyone's on the same page? So my role at Microsoft right now, my primary one as an account manager, really helped me learn that. Uh, some of the other hats I wear at the company, I'm a virtual architect. So I work with uh, sales teams around the country to scope crazy application deals uh, where we basically go pitch um, these really modernized, forward-thinking solutions to some of the world's biggest companies. And I'm also a blockchain ambassador. So in the Silicon Valley, I help people learn um, not just about blockchain, uh, but also help them get started and building on it on our Azure blockchain workbench, which, by the way, if you haven't checked it out, it's the best way to build on blockchain right now. All the big companies are using it. <laughs> nice. Um, how how long have you been um 
How long have you been going? Jeez, when was I in high school, man? Well, like, oh man, I'm old now. (laughs) Jeez, about to date myself. I know some people listening that was born in the '90s. Oh lord. Okay, no, um, I started uh, developing when I was in high school. (laughs) Uh, when I was in high school, MySpace was the thing. This was right around the time Facebook came out uh, to high schoolers because at first it was a college-only platform. Um, but in MySpace, you know, it was a really right. – it was our social currency. You know, much how Instagram profiles and likes or Facebook likes were, you, you know, your MySpace friends and who was in your top eight was the social currency of my generation. So I really wanted to have the flyest MySpace at my school. And so just naturally through tinkering with the page, I started to pick up some HTML. I went through an actual like online course and formally learned HTML and started like making websites for people just kind of on the low, trying to figure out how to do it. I would go on Craigslist and um, I would write like posts to offer people a free website. And then I would like pick out actual businesses and I wouldn't get paid much, if anything at all. But it was really how I built my first portfolio. Then there was a, a guy at my church who taught me PHP. And so once I picked that up, I was able to do like WordPress templates way back in the day before there was like, you know, your WordPress template marketplaces. So one day um, I was coding yeah. in a bar and uh, I was like probably like 21, 22. And I was at a bar in downtown Oakland and uh, they had this Afro Puerto Rican night every Tuesday night. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday. But I would pull up, at, you know, and just go there and eat really good food and just pull up and code. And one day this dude, he saw me, he like walked up to me. He was like, hey, what you doing? You building a website? And I mean, this dude was like, okay, I'm not going to, he looked like Rick Ross' big brother. Like, he was like, big dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> big old beard, bald head. Just, just, he, I did not, I was like, who are you, first of all, right? So actually, he was like, hey, like, I'm hiring a web developer. Come through to my, my business. You know, it's, it's right around the corner. Just come through tomorrow and let me see what you can do and I might give you a job. So at this point, you know, I was working, I was going to school, I was planning on being a lawyer. You know, even though I had this skill set, I didn't really see it as something that was, you know, outside of the social currency. Like, I didn't see it as something that had actual real money value, like something I could have a career in, you know? It was just something I did as, like, a side hustle, like, burning CDs for people or, like, you know, showing people how to download movies on the internet. Like, that was, (laughs) you know, I didn't see it as, like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. But uh, anyway, I followed up with that guy. I went up to his office. His office is still there today. It's a, it's a branding company in downtown Oakland, and now they do, like, a lot of branding for, for celebrities and politicians in the area, people like Marshawn Lynch, clothing lines like Oaklandish, Mr. Fab, Guapale. Uh, it's crazy, crazy, but he ended up giving me the job wow. on the spot, and within, like, a year and a half, um, you know, he provided me all of the training that I needed. He trusted me as, a, as, as one of the youngest people on his team to be a web development lead. He let me be a architect on a couple of different engagements before I was even 24 uh, that were valued over, you know, $30,000, $40,000. So it, it was just really amazing to, to really have somebody meet me and without judging who I was and, and just judging me straight off the skill uh, that I demonstrated, you know, really giving me a shot and giving me an opportunity to see myself and my skill set as something more than just, you know, what I could use and be on. So like, you know, make sure that my homies are cool. Like, I feel good in social settings. So it was really awesome. Shout out to Tyranny and Marketing Kings in downtown Oakland. Y'all are awesome. <laughs> so um, you say you started, you know, you say you started off with like, you know, learning uh, how to build your own profile from MySpace. I definitely remember those days, um, changing the logo and having to 
like the that was like the yes. original gifts so like <laughs> back then like, like you know yeah. right yeah i was a little shady one too. right I used to uh, act like uh, local rappers myspace pages and i would like insert code that would um like like embed the disc te- their disc tracks in the background and it would play them before their music started playing so when you would go to an artist page it would start playing the disc track <laughs> before it would play their actual song so i did that to a couple people uh <laughs> just playing around with code before people knew oh how to my edit. god and it's awesome <laughs> uh that's that's the one for uh that's definitely a home that was run a little internet um, troll before trolling was a thing so when you started off right <laughs> So when you when you started off learning this and, and you know even PHP, what what were some of your like your your early struggles with it? If, the if, biggest struggle that I had was I didn't understand anything that the book said. Like literally, um, the way that because mm. what happened was the guy in my church he gave me a textbook at first. It was like PHP for dummies or something like that, and um, I had mm-hmm. no idea what the it's amazing how hard those yeah, books are, too. Yeah, they're not easy at all. I was like, <laughs> dang, if this is for dummies, I must just be brain dead because I don't know what you're talking about with a function and a hierarchy and a put a who and a dependency. What? Like, what? What's a class? Uh, I got to go to class. I'm in high school. I don't understand this. So it was just, all right. it was it was really bad. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I really had to get to a point where I had to recognize that the way the information presented was the was the problem and not me. Right. And so I think that was probably the mm. biggest struggle when I was first learning how to code was to recognize that, you know, the Internet really gives us the ability to, to have information in any format we want. I just have to figure out what format I need. And if the way most people learn, which are mm. these standard textbooks or, you know, computer science courses in a more formal way, if, if that's what they need, then that's OK. But I can also say, like, that format doesn't work for me and find other formats that do. So I think uh, the biggest thing that I had to do when I was first learning how to code was I had to learn how I learn, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That that that's really powerful. What what? So let me ask you this. Uh, let's say let's say uh, Jill here is listening. Uh, she's starting off. She's starting off uh, coding. What? How can she learn her learning style? I think that requires a little bit of personal reflection, just like. You know, it's, it's kind of like when you go put your resume up, do you put that you're a senior developer or not, right? It's kind of like that internal reflection on your experiences. So I think part of it is, is one, identifying what doesn't work for you and being honest with yourself about that mm-hmm. and being brave enough to be honest with yourself about that. Like if you're reading a textbook and you try rereading it, you try taking notes and you still don't get it, then that textbook isn't for you. And yes, it might've cost you 50, $60, you know what I mean? But like, you got to find another way. So it's, it, one is being willing to try new things. So if the textbook version didn't work for you, head over to YouTube University and maybe a combination of the textbook <laughs> and people's explanations or decentralized education platforms like that or paid ones like Udemy, right? You can find what combination works. Some people can't learn from videos at all. So maybe trying your, uh, you know, trying a, a mixed curriculum for yourself. Like even even when you go back to like public educations, you know what I mean? Like the schools, they don't just give you a textbook and then you just read out the textbook all day. You have different types of learning. Some are interactive. You might get up and go outside and play a game that's really a math lesson. Right. You might um, Mm -hmm. you might go in the classroom and sing a song to learn, you know, a new vocabulary word or something. 
So kind of being experimental with the sources of information you're trying to learn from. I know there's a lot of great communities out there that are free where you can actually engage other humans and ask them questions. If you're not someone for like actual calls or, you know, to have like a running Slack channel, you kind of want to be left alone and just pop up and ask your questions. You might like Stack Overflow. If you're somebody who wants to like meet up with people in person and ask your questions and, you know, work alongside other people who are going this, through the same things, then maybe free code camp is your platform, right? So just being able to, to sort of experiment and figure out uh, what things really help ideas stick and what things really help you reinforce the learning. You may have to make up your own exercises, right? Like if you're unable to find like a typing trainer that helps you, you know, really get down some of those weird symbols when you're first learning how to code, uh, maybe you need to build it, right? So I think part of it is one, really just being honest with yourself about what doesn't work and also being uh, brave and being honest and willing to try different inputs of information in different modes to figure out what does work with you. Like there's no one size fits all formula. So you said something really very interesting there and it's two things. I like what you said about, um, you know, figuring out what works for you. Uh, and so I made a, I made a post uh, basically about how the sorting, sorting algorithm works. And I use just like five cards, like, five, uh, you know, from a deck of cards. Mm -hmm. And I went through the pretty much the cards and showing how it was work and it was like super visual and engaging. And I was doing it to show, but it was all I was also doing it to learn. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I was that it that that really helped me like really understand it, you know, and it helped that formula kind of stick to that definition um right. as well. <laughs> and, and then the second thing is I think there's a very, very thin line. And we, me and you've talked about this. There's a very, very thin line of you're not getting it versus that learning model is not for you. Because mm -hmm. you're not getting it maybe because of that person teaching is just simply over overcomplicating it. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, so it's like I think uh, uh, personally, I believe 100 percent of the time it's the learning model. I really truly believe that anyone barring, you know, physical ailments or, or, or limitations is able to learn anything literally with the right teacher. Mm. Right. And so I don't think it's ever an individual's fault. I think if something is difficult to learn, that you can find a combination of sources or engage with people in a way that creates a way for you to learn. Um, I, I really think computer science in particular, especially a lot of the educational texts are extremely way too complicated. Like they just are, they just, they read like math textbooks. And if anyone's ever taken like an mm -hmm. upper division math class, like calculus or like calculus two, yes, or like linear Lord. algebra or discrete mathematics, the way the books are written, like the way the professor talks about them is so different from the way the book is written. Like, okay, we already Super have facts. words for tables and then now we have matrices and arrays and like all of these different mathematical terms, which I understand are needed for like, you know, like a synergy, like a synergy between math and computer science at an academic level, but no one's really come down to earth and broken that down to people who don't speak that language, who don't speak linear algebra, who don't speak discrete mathematics, and who have no interest in, in learning that far, because maybe they don't want to program machine learning algorithms. Maybe they just want to build a website for their friends who have businesses, right? 
And so I really right. think, I, I really firmly believe that computer science has a lot of work to do in, in, in making computer science education inclusive of people who do not come from backgrounds that are heavy in the math or traditional science fields, like your chemistry, your physics, right? Like we need to come up with a set of education and be accountable to those that we're excluding by only having our education material um, in those really academic formats. Like that's just not how most people talk. If it was, we'd have a world full of mathematicians. It's, I, I mean, there's a better way than said, you know, said than that. Um, I, I was talking to another developer and he told me that, you know, like you, it's the same thing you just said that it's developer talk. He said developer talk is really similar to lawyer talk, where yeah. you read a paper, a lawyer put together, and a common person just cannot understand it. Um, mm. You know, and they they put it that way for you to refer back to a lawyer a lot of times, like you know, and it's like a kind of like a vicious cycle. Um, but yeah, I, I I definitely definitely um understand that. So. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't think the people who like write computer science books are like, we don't want people who haven't studied math to learn how to learn. I think it's just that they're not including diverse perspectives when they're authoring these textbooks, right? So they may be testing them out on, on younger people, but only a certain subset of younger people, as opposed to, you know, gathering larger ranges of feedback, which could fix the problem so quick. Like, take that to high school, take that mm -hmm. to Castlemont High School, take your AP computer science textbook to Castlemont High School and get feedback from the students, right? Like take your AP textbook to Grady High in Atlanta and get feedback from the students. Like don't only allow your academic circles to create educational material because in doing that and in leaving those people out of, those perspectives out of shaping the, the actual material, you're by nature being like not inclusive and diverse. And as a result, you exclude people. And that's the same thing whether it's in creating textbooks or whether it's in creating an artificial intelligence, right? Like if we don't consider the world and the people around us, then we by default leave them out. Wow. <laughs> we we can almost end there now. <laughs> no. Uh... I feel like I'm a walking Man. fortune cookie. That's what I feel like. That, like a, a never ending one. Like it just keeps flowing out. Just keep coming, keep coming. Uh, <laughs> So, um, so after, after that job, uh, that you had from Rick Ross's bigger brother, <laughs> Shout out to after that job that awesome. you had, <laughs> uh, what, what were some of, uh, what were some of your, uh, your, uh, projects and your notable projects and companies you worked for after that? Okay. So yeah, I did a, I did a pretty much after that, a tour around the world. Some of it, uh, voluntary, some of it not. I went to um, Afghanistan in 2012 and was there until 2014 with the United States military. Uh, I was there part of the time as a soldier, uh, another part of the time as a contractor. And essentially, um, I did a lot of stuff with data management for the Special Operations Command. It was really interesting. Uh, it was a brand new command that was being stood up. Uh, I got to work on some really interesting projects um, and learned a lot technically while I was out there in that time. Uh, when I came back from there, from Afghanistan, I moved to Atlanta. Shout out to Atlanta. I love Atlanta. Uh, I went to Atlanta. I, I bought a house out there. I settled <laughs> down. And I started working at a company um, out there that's like a Microsoft partner. And so they would go, and on behalf of Microsoft, they would take 
care of like deploying solutions in the industry when Microsoft couldn't do it. So most people don't know, like when, when people roll out our technologies, sometimes they hire us directly, but most of the times they hire like companies that are just affiliated with us to do the work. And we really mm-hmm. work to make sure they can do the work at the same quality that we could ourselves, right? So um, mm-hmm. I worked in a Microsoft partner. I did st- some stuff for Georgia Tech. I did some stuff for a school district. I think it was Gwinnett County Public Schools. So I, I did some consulting for a couple of different um, like uh, engineering companies out there. And that's really when I got like heavy into the startup game. So I was a part of a couple of pitch competitions out there. And then back in the Bay Area, I got started with a company called SyncFab. And uh, they recently just had their ICO earlier this year where they raised over $10 million. And I think now they're over $15 million total. So shout out to the nice. SyncFab family. Congratulations on all the growth. Um, yeah, and then uh, after that, a uh, very interesting offer came up. I got offered an opportunity to move to Japan as a developer, which was just absolutely wow. amazing. Um, I went and lived in Okinawa, Japan, which is a tropical island off the coast of mainland Japan. It's got like two different oceans on it. So uh, really awesome working out there. I did some work for the United States Marine Corps. Um, they had some information they needed to share between them and the Japanese government. So I worked on the, the data systems to do that. Uh, it was really awesome. It was really my first like IT executive role. And I like was 25. <laughs> so I was like 25 and everyone else around me was like 20, 30 years my senior. It was a uh, very intense, um, but, but really blessed to have had that opportunity. Shortly after that, man, Microsoft DM'd me on LinkedIn and was like, hey, do you want to come work for us? <laughs> And uh, man, most people don't know it this. It goes down like, in the DM. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, hey, what's up? You want some great benefits and, a, and an amazing career? <laughs> um, so hold on. I, I, I don't want to miss this because you just said something. I, I want to touch a little bit on your Japan experience because I don't think I've ever heard that from any developer er, uh, ever. Like, what was that like? It was really interesting because I worked for an American company. I worked for a really large construction company um, that was doing a project out in Japan. So I got both a very American experience and a very Japanese experience. But the Okinawan experience in particular, like just as a culture, like they themselves were colonized by the Japanese. And then they like, um, they, so, wait, so uh, Okinawa as a culture is just really different from mainland Japan because they were their own culture and like their own country before the Japanese came in and took over. So I got mm-hmm. like almost like a mix of three cultures while I was there. I got to see what Okinawan food was like, what Okinawan should, like culture was like. And then I also got to see what Japanese culture was like and what Japanese language was like. And there was a whole bunch of Americans there. So it was like very easy to stay there and not ever feel too, too homesick. Um, from a programming perspective, it was amazing. I mean, out there, they have, they do a lot of like technology at the intersection of the environment. Uh, Okinawa as an island um, and the University of Okinawa have some of like the leading like biotechnology companies in the physical science space. So they do a lot of research on like how to protect coral reefs and like how to preserve data about or, or preserve data about what happened at certain places at certain points in time. So they have like a bunch of old trails like up in the mountains of Okinawa that are like tens of thousands of years old that were from like 
the the warriors who walked like the path in this legend that's like a huge part of their culture but they literally have the trails to prove it so doing stuff like that you know what i mean there's a lot of technological innovation out there just not in the ways that you would think of because you know they innovate about what's important to them plus like the whole island had fiber Mm. internet and this was like four or five years ago (laughs) so that helps (laughs) Yeah, and it was like forty dollars a month too. It was amazing. I missed that internet. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Japan. <laughs> um, all right, and so then you said from there you went in. Um, now, did you go into the Marine Corps, or are you just working for the Marine no, Corps? No, I was a contractor for them. I was in the Army for eight years, but uh, I was a reservist. So when I went to uh-huh. Afghanistan, I was like called up for deployment, and then I just continued to work as a civilian in the DOD space. It was um, awesome. I got an opportunity. I don't feel, I didn't feel like I was ready. Uh, like, all right. So in 2012, when I was deployed, I was a student at UC Berkeley. I was like, I just finished up my junior year. I was getting ready to like plan out my final year. And then I got deployment orders. So after Afghanistan, I wasn't really ready to just like jump back into school. So I, instead I went and I, I worked for several years in the industry. I went from Afghanistan to working in Afghanistan to working in Atlanta, to working in Japan before I got the amazing DM from Microsoft. And all this was by the time you were 25? Uh, yeah, I think I turned 26 the year Microsoft hired me. Yeah. <laughs> and and you say you was, uh, how old when you started coding? Uh, like 16. 15, 16. I mean, I got into it seriously when I was like 17 and 18. Um, but yeah, I, I really started like cranking away at it at like 16. And I didn't have access to a lot of the tools that people have now. Like back then, there were no Angular JSs, there were no Express JSs. It was plain old JavaScript and, and geez, not even really jQuery back then. It was more so just JavaScript, <laughs> right? It was like, a lot of the platforms and tools that are available today that may seem overwhelming for new developers, like, oh, do I choose an Angular or React or an Express or like what framework and what backend technology? Do I learn SQL or no SQL? Right? Like all of the, the things that may seem like um, burdens or stuff you have to overcome are actually like blessings because once you learn how to use those tools, they dramatically shorten your development time, right? And this is someone who, like, studied COBOL formally, right? Where, like, I actually know how to program in COBOL. I did some, like, crazy data center stuff for a while. And it's like, Hmm. even though this, it may seem overwhelming because it may seem like a lot to learn, a lot of these tools really will help you um, implement things that even just five years ago would have taken 10, 15 times as long, right? So it really is just about knowing what the tools are and how you so, and the reason I ask that is because um, I, I get I get people kind of reaching out to me, and you know I, I hear conversations that people are kind of frustrated with their journey, um, but they're literally like twelve to twenty four months in, mm. like you know you're, you know you're still learning, and so it's funny because me I had I had the opportunity to basically. Uh, build a tech company before this, so I have an understanding of what, how it, what, basically what it, what it takes, and you know the patience of it. So it's like, you know, you got to work 
you know, hard, but also be patient and understand that it's not going to happen, you know, overnight, especially, especially with coding and, and also to with hiring and getting your, you know, first Microsoft job, mm-hmm. you know, in your 12 to 24 months in. Um, yeah, I mean, I think. And so my first piece of advice is, is an old joke that one of my, my very first mentors told me which is the only difference between a junior developer and a senior developer is a senior developer knows it is not going to work the first time. He knows it's not going to work the first 10 times. That is the only difference. So, wow. I mean, it's never, you're never going to get out of the same process of writing computer software. You're never going to write stuff that doesn't work. It's not like you're going to wake up one day and magically be able to flawlessly write computer software. Like there's maybe some people out there who do that. I know a couple of like Vim wizards who can do some like amazing things in 30 (laughs) seconds, right? But most software developers Mm -hmm. and most people um, who are not like dedicated or that perfectionist um, are able to find solace in the process. And and it's the process of creating something new, right? So think of like an artist Mm -hmm. painting something. Like maybe the first couple brushstrokes, which are literally, unfortunately, in computer science, the first couple of years, they may say, oh, I'm never going to get this painting done. I'm never going to finish it. But in computer science, I mean, the beauty is in the process of creating the software. You're literally taking your mind, the things that you type into a computer, and you're creating something real, something that actually exists in the world. I don't know too many other people who can wake up and like use their mind to create something real. Something that I can like look at with my eyes, something that I can like carry around with me in my phone if it's an app, something that can impact people in places that I'll never even go in my lifetime physically, right? Like all around the world. And so I think part of it is really a rework in the mindset, right? Like we talked about that earlier when we were talking about how people learn. Part of it is also like, how do you perceive failure? Because failure is literally not an option, it is a part of the process just as much as success can be if you allow yourself to not be stopped by failing. So now that you know it's not optional, like flags in certain cases or like, you know, class names and, and certain parameters inside of like naming conventions, right? Like if someone told you you literally cannot put an underscore at the beginning of your class name or of your function name, <laughs> you know what I mean? What are you going to do? Sit there and cry? Like, oh my gosh, all I wanted to do in life was put that there. Like, it's the same thing about failure. It's not optional. It's a part of the process. But when you become comfortable with failing, that's when you start finding successes because sometimes you fail your way into success. Right. You recognize the and thing that you tried didn't work. Now you can find the thing that did work. And so I think as someone who's gone through this process and this journey, positivity, always being willing to learn and enjoying learning. Like in any job you take, you're going to have to learn something new. Even if you're just like a UPS mail delivery clerk, when they start getting like robots in those facilities to like give you the packages, you're gonna have to learn how to interact with them. Just the same way that when a new version of a library is released, you're gonna have to learn the new documentation rules or not the rules. You're gonna have to learn the the new features of the software. You're gonna have to go to the documentation and update yourself. Well, or unless you're a visual learner and you go back to YouTube University and check it out, right? (laughs) Right. Um, no, and everything you just said is my new favorite word is perspective. Um, Mm. yeah, complaining, which I rarely, rarely, rarely do now. I mean, I can't even tell you last time I did complain. Um, but 
it's all about just perspective. And so mm-hmm. one of the things too that helped me kind of get through, like you said, that failing process, because it is a part of the process. I told myself, I'm not going to get it the first three times. Three, you're fast, man. I'd be like the first eight to 12. I'm like, <laughs> I have the software and nothing work and that's okay. I'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> right. But I, I've told myself, like, I'm not going to get it the first three times. And but watch, this is what I do. So especially like we're taking CS50 right now. Like I literally what I do now is I watch the video and I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't understand nothing you said. <laughs> like, oh, and then I said, OK, cool. Like, you know, I, I look over the notes or whatever. Then I go back and watch the video. Oh, OK, I caught that. You know, then I go back and watch, watch the video again. By the third time, I've already caught two, three, four things that I didn't catch before. That's a W. So now I get to start over, okay? Mm. Now my, my clock starts over, okay? Now I got three more times to figure this out. Then three mm. more times to figure this out. Like, and so it just, it completely eliminated my frustration because before I started talking to people, and this is why it's so big to, you know, find some type of community, if it's on social media, if it's meetups, um, Slack, whatever, find some type of community because, once I learned that it wasn't just me, oh, I was good. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, you got to watch this 10 times too? Oh, okay, cool. All right, let's go. Um, you know, but for the longest, I thought it was just me, um, you know, kind of struggling, you know, and, fa- and you know, falling forward. Um, but yeah, once I learned that, though, uh, yeah, it was, it was. Uh, That's really powerful, man. It was, it, I mean, it's been fun. It's been fun. <laughs> like it's really been fun. Like I look forward to it. Like it's like even even CS fifty, even and watch this. With CS fifty, and it's it's still hard. With CS fifty now, I go into it knowing that I'm not gonna probably understand the first couple of things he say. Um, knowing I'm gonna be frustrated. I've developed a type of weird infatuation for it <laughs> like i look forward to it and it, and and i look forward to getting through that frustration mm. you know and i i completely count the small wins completely i'm going to put it on the shot clock that is a w <laughs> and i just understood one line that he said i mean it i just matter. think of it like a company you know? that would discount profit because it's not that big like if it's your first sale if your first sales 45 cents for something that's a sale because 45 cents times a hundred thousand customers is a lot of money right. right and so being able to just take your wins as wins and understand your losses as a functional part of the process and not allowing yourself to develop fear man and it's really really powerful that you've been able to do that especially going through something like cs50 i i, I um uh, a buddy of mine's uh, uh frederick uh from Pidgely told me something a long time ago when I was working on Recure and I was talking to certain investors. He told me something very powerful, and I still use it now with even coding. Fred, man, if you're listening, shout out to you. He told me something that he said, you define what your wins are. Mm. He said, don't let other people define what your wins are. You know, don't let other people say, you know, until you know uh, JavaScript, React, and then how to build an app from top to bottom. That's not, it's not a, no, 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 no. If you understand, you know, tomorrow with what an array is, which 
I went on a complete rant about that. And it, and it actually started from you, <laughs> which is funny. Um, if you understand what a rate function, a variable is, that's a win. That's a win. Take those small wins, like put them in your pocket. Uh, you know, hold them, trash them. Catch trash a little them. win and put it in your pocket. Catch a falling win. And, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, and so I, I definitely think, uh, definitely think, and oh, and two, but when you're following, when you're looking for these uh communities, be and be kind of read through it and kind of watch for trolls because they're out there, unfortunately. Mm. Um, you know, people that you know get it now and now they kind of want to push other people down because they get it and they feel better about themselves. I get over yourself, yeah, but that's what's gonna work, right? Like, there might be a guy who gets the robots at UPS a little bit faster than the other and he's kind of a jerk about it. You know, I think it's it's, mm-hmm. it's also just really important to stress the fact that, like, anything you experience in any other factor of business is something you're going to experience in computer science and in software development, mm. right? Like, it's going to be the same people problems. They're not, like, magically less um, susceptible to human nature because they do something that you perceive as super smart, right? It's not mm-hmm. like people are going to magically all of a sudden be um, just helpful for the sake of it. You're still going to have your... Your different personalities, people who don't clash. You're also going to have like days where you feel like you can't do it. You know, I'm sure there are accountants who feel like that, who feel like they may not know their the tax law good enough to do what they're doing. I'm sure that there are, um, you know, even like uh, physical workers, man, like landscapers or something who feel like they can't do it again. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like everything that you experience in computer science, you experience in every other facet of business. So don't just limit yourself to computer science communities, right? Like also go out into general business communities because you may find synergies with your struggles and with your wins with people in different sectors of business. That's a great point. That's a that's a really great point. Um, I, I'm on, one of my one of, one of my mentors told me that. Uh, he said, look at, look, at, look at computer science as a roommate that you can't get rid of. <laughs> like, look at coding as a roommate that you can't get, up, can't get rid of. Like, you got to live together. So you might as well figure it out. <laughs> like, and it was just a great way to look at it. And, you know, you know, you the one decide to move in here. So, hey, be get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, Definitely. So, yeah. Um, X, so, so. Move it on to um, well, well, first of all, let's, let's back up a little bit to uh, actually, originally, originally, where are you from? Um, I'm in California, I'm in a city called Richmond. No, not Richmond, Virginia. If anyone's ever seen Coach Carter, that was about Richmond, California. Yeah, shout out. <laughs> uh, I'm from, yeah, real Richmond. I'm from Richmond. <laughs> and um, you said like born and raised there, yeah. So I was born there, uh, I was raised there for most of my childhood and then bounced around different cities in the Bay Area. You know, I have a very large family. My mom had eight kids and was a single mother. So it's just, you know, a little instability during, uh, you know, growing up, bouncing from, from city to city as, you know, rent prices and stuff would change. But yeah, mostly from Richmond. <laughs> if mostly is a thing. So here, here's, here's a, it's a two-part question, but you may answer it on the first response. Um. When you got, when you finally understood that, okay, you didn't want to go into law school, that you want to do the coding, uh, did you have a why, why you want to keep going, like doing this? Um, 
one is that I talked to lawyers. <laughs> I think that was one of the things I forgot <laughs> to do when I was like, I want to be a lawyer. It was like actually talk to somebody who did that job. And um, uh-huh. I just didn't, I, I lost complete interest. I sat down with four or five different attorneys over lunch and was like, oh my goodness, no, like this would be the worst use of my time and skill that I could possibly think of. And I don't know what else I could do. Right. Um, the time I had a, a real interest to like get into film and video. And I was like, maybe I'll, I'll just drop out of UC Berkeley and like go to filmschool.com and like learn how to make movies. Right. Like tripping. Um, so uh, and, and instead, you know, when I really figured out what I wanted to do, it was that I wanted to be able to solve problems that I saw in the world. And I wanted to build tools to be able to do that. And when I was younger, I used to think becoming a lawyer would give me the tools to do that because I'd be able to change laws. But after experiencing technology and its use in Afghanistan on that level, to see what type of impact it could have for our government to be able to optimize our operations and really like do all types of crazy transformational things, it really drove in my heart that I could use technology to be a service to not just the communities that I come from, whether they be ethnic, whether they be uh, you know, regional, like people from the same city, but just like the globe, because like I'm a global citizen, right? So it's like giving back to the globe and doing that by creating solutions to the problems that I see. So one of the, the things that my grandmother really, really uh, drove into me when I was a kid was uh, like you, like don't complain, right? But she said, the reason you shouldn't complain is because if you can see a problem, it's because you have a piece of the solution. Like people who can't see the same problem oh, wow. as you don't have the ability to contribute to a solution. So I, oh, I just really feel wow. like, you know, I just really feel like what good am I if I don't if I can see the problem, I know I got a way to solve it, but then I don't do the work to give myself the tools to implement that solution. So right now I really believe technology is magic. I believe it's extremely transformational. You could build something that connects people across the globe in a way that humankind has never known before. You can now connect physical devices to the internet and be able to sense the world around you digitally. It's insane what we're capable of doing. And I think, you know, just staying with technology over the years, despite having opportunities to do many other things, it really is because uh, this is the thing that's going to either build up the communities we come from or we're going to get left behind from the solutions that are being built for us so i really just want to be a part of the the creation of transformation like i want to i want to wake up in a world i want to live in one day (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's that's beautiful what you just said um so let me ask you this um what have you seen as far as like your journey and your um, success and actually your success, success and failures? What have you how have you seen that impact your immediate circle and your family and friends? Ooh, that's a very good question. I think it depends on how the situations impact me. I mean, I've been a part of probably more than a half dozen startups now, probably around seven or eight like actual C corporation startups, not just ideas me and my friends hacked on. Some of them I stayed with, some of them I left, some of them were not successful despite our attempts. Um, And I think really it depended on how personally I took each of those. There were some successes that went a little too far to my head. 
there were some failures that I took a little bit too personally and affected how I felt about myself. And of course, when you're in a low place, like your people are going are gonna to be down there with you. Like if I'm walking around moping all day and I'm sad and complaining about everything because I feel bad because the business didn't work out the way I intended instead of getting up and working on a new business that might work as intended, right? Um, that affects everyone around you. It affects your people. If you're a leader and you maybe are failing as a team or you perceive that you're failing as a team, um, that can affect your leadership style and it affects people's belief in the overall vision of the company, right? And I think uh, that's, that's key, especially in startups, especially when you're starting up a new career, if you're starting up a new business, if you're starting up a new like uh, technology venture or you're starting to learn something new. And in a startup, I'd argue that the number one thing that you have to have to be successful at a bare minimum is collective vision, which means every person that is working on this project with you has to believe that the project can be good and that the project will be successful, even if it's not the product or project you start with, right? And I think that's key because if there are people who don't believe that from the beginning, it can poison the way that the team is built. It can poison the culture of your team. And if you're the person doing it as the person leading the initiative, you get all types of chaos, right? So I really think um, for me personally, it's really been a big balance of, of just really accepting that failure is a part of the process. Like some companies I'm going to try to join and they won't hire me. Some companies I'll go to and, you know, we'll be really successful. Some companies I'll go to and, um, you know, we might come up, we might start with one idea and six months later have to scrap it and go to something else and hope that that works, right? So it, it really is just about, again, going back to like what you say, your word perspective. So how it impacts me depends on my perspective on the situation. Am I taking something too personally? Am I taking something in a way that's uh, unnecessary? Or am I taking this as a, like, a constructive feedback about how I can do business better in the future? Whether that's financial decisions or technical decisions or hiring decisions, whatever they are. So uh, let me let me add to that. And excuse me if I go on a rant here, because this is a very personal topic right here. <clears throat> Clear as throat. <laughs> um, you said something really interesting, you said that, you know, if you're running a company, you know, you got to have a clear vision and then you got to make sure that the rest of the company has a clear vision. Let me break it down to something very, very personal. I learned something about myself a couple of years ago that I'm very, very, very addicted to making people around me better. Mm. I'm extremely addicted to the point I can be annoying. And I know that and I personally don't give a damn <laughs> because if I call you a friend and if I say that I love you, and I got your back, and I'm not calling you out on your shit, then I might as well just be an enemy. Mm -hmm. So what you just said there, as far as making sure the company is well-ran, well I'm going to get a little bit to That is the same principle of a family. Mm -hmm. And the reason I bring that up is because, and the reason I originally asked this question is because don't get point where you're so selfish and ready to quit when there's people around you counting on you. Mm. Looking up to you. Waiting for you to win so you can inspire them to win. Don't hold the world back because you're so lazy and you're selfish that you don't want to do what you need to do. Mm. 
the world spins for a reason. And it's because a lot of people that they're doing what they're supposed to do. But the one person in that family, in that community, in that neighborhood, in that school, don't do what they're supposed to do. It slows the world down. Thank you. Say <laughs> and the most. I, 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 <laughs> and this is this is one of the most passionate and the most annoying thing. I, ex, I lie to you not. I literally have friends that would avoid my call because they know why I'm calling. Mm-hmm. I have friends I Marlon haven't talked coming to. coming to collect, bring, bring. I, <laughs> I haven't talked to, I got friends I haven't talked to in three months because they know why I'm calling. These, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't get how, I don't get how you are an individual, man, woman, boy, or child. I don't get how you can sit there and not work on your dreams if you have a child. You know, I that's think, what you're teaching them. I think part of it, it is is I, I mindset. Think of, I think part of it is 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 where people are at, right? Like mental health and mental health issues are real, and sometimes people mm-hmm. can discourage themselves from accomplishing or even trying new things to the point where you get kind of like mentally sick about it. Like you don't, you genuinely just don't believe you can do things. You know, it's kind of like when you lie to yourself so many times, it becomes the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think to kind of echo off what you were saying, the most selfish thing a person can do is not honor themselves. Mm-hmm. That's the most selfish thing you can do. Like, imagine if you, you know, you get a credit card for a thousand dollars. Right. You know, some general rules of credit cards, you're not supposed to spend over 30 percent. So I'm not supposed to spend over three hundred dollars on this credit card. If he's trying to be like, mm-hmm. you know, big baller American Express in a couple of years. Right. So right. you are walking through Oakland and you see a homeless camp. You decide, yo, every paycheck, I'm going to spend some money on this new credit card. I'm going to pay it back for my Uber driving, for my coding, for my hawking my WordPress things, whatever it is you're doing. And you say, yo, I'm going to um, buy these people food and I'm going to give them some food. Now, imagine if you go in there and you buy a whole bunch of food and you don't pay your credit card bill. It'll still work for a while. Like, you'll be able to go in there a couple more times and swipe. But one of two things is going to happen. One, either you're going to hit your limit and not be able to spend anymore. Or two, the company is going to cut your card off because you haven't paid. And that's the same thing that happens with our capacity as people. Like, you have to honor yourself. You have to give back to yourself. You have to pay your own emotional and mental credit card bills to take care of yourself so you can actually give because what's better, a burnt out person in a short period of time or somebody who only spent what they could actually afford, which might only have been $50 in groceries a week, right? And giving those $50 of groceries a week for a whole year. Sure, you didn't hit as many people as if you would have gone in and swiped all 1000 bucks at once, but now you're able to sustain your giving and do it in a way that makes a larger impact over a longer amount of time. So if you are trying to do something for for the world, you have to give back to yourself. That's the number one rule. You have to pay your own damn credit card bills. <laughs> and that, man, that I like what you said, that you have to pay your emotional credit card bill. Like, I've never heard that term. Um, and that can go in so many different lanes, you know, to physical, to spiritual, like, you mm-hmm. know, whatever lane, you know, you believe in, like... Absolutely. Oh my goodness. 
Yeah, I mean, it really, yeah. it really is about like self-care. You have to take care of yourself. And what that means is multidimensional. Self-care is not just, yo, I go to bed and I don't drink with my homies every weekend. Like, what are you doing to manage stress? Because when you get in a startup, you are going to be stressed. When you start up anything brand new. I mean, learning guitar is stressful too, right? So what do you do to manage stress? What are you doing to prepare yourself for the next version of this software that you're, or this, this, this software tool or this library that you're so used to working with? Like, what are you doing to work to prepare for the future? You know? I learned something too. Um, when you're in such a state, when you're in such a particular state for a while, your body gets uncomfortable when you're trying to change. That can be good or bad. Mm. You so, know, there's a, there's a lot of research coming out right now about this thing called, excuse me, uh, there's a lot of research coming out right now about this thing called neuroplasticity. And what neuroplasticity is, is it's your brain's ability to change based on the things you think. So there's a difference between like your physical brain and then like your real world experience or like what you perceive the world as. So one is called like your mental experience. So like the things we think. And then there's like your literal biological brain. So the mental experience is like our consciousness, right? So there's a lot of research right now on neuroplasticity or how your consciousness affects your biological brain. So when you think bad thoughts, what happens to your brain, right? And research across the board, whether it's in drug abuse or whether it's in performance enhancing drugs and all these different types of like things that people put in their body to affect their experience what they're finding is the most powerful factor and how those things actually influence you is if you think you're actually going to be influenced by them or not <laughs> so they did a study not too long ago of students who were using like adderall to try to study right and what they found is that adderall itself didn't actually make a difference whether or not a student thought that they had taken Adderall and whether or not they thought that it was going to make them better impacted their performance. Power of the mind. Right. And these are documented studies now. So again, back to what you were saying, like perspective, it's all about perspective. So if you are not taking care of yourself and your mental, if you're not, you know, it doesn't mean you have to be some type of hippie and like go do yoga and like go vegan. Like that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying finding the balance that works for you. Whatever that means, because only you know you. Like, you're you. <laughs> right. Right. Man, don't nobody do you better than you. Nobody can, literally. Like, there's not another person on this earth who's literally walked with your ex experiences every single day of your life. Like, your body remembers things biologically that you don't remember in your mental experience that happened decades ago, if you're that old. <laughs> right? Like, my body remembers things from when I was five years old. Like there's literally no other person in this world who was me at five years old in my house with my experiences. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so it's like, you're so uniquely you. You have to tune into yourself. And whether that's tuning into yourself to see if you're actually learning something from a certain format. Whether that's tuning into yourself to see if you actually vibe with the person that you're trying to start a business with. And if you really have confidence in them. And being okay to say no if you don't, right? Uh, whether that's, you know, it just really is about tuning into yourself and tuning about what you need. Like, don't try to go into a sales meeting without eating if you're hungry. Like, listen to yourself. <laughs> don't try to go, like, pitch your startup on no sleep. Like, rest. Like, whether or not you feel like you need it in your mind, like your body knows you need it. 
And so it really is just about figuring out what you need and working to make sure that you carve out time and space to give that to yourself because it'll make you more successful in pretty much every endeavor, not just in learning how to cook. And that's 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 really dope what you just said too. Um, you know, it, it's sort of like the you know resting part because you know a lot of times we hear preach no sleep, you know, like team no sleep. Um, I'm gonna tell you a, just a small interesting statement that I heard. A guy said uh, him and his co-founder they built a pretty well-known company. I'm gonna tell you the name of it. Eight hours a day, and that was it. Wow. They said from nine to five, they built their company and that was it. And they went super hard between nine to five and then they shut it down. You know who said that? Who? Kevin Sistrom, Instagram. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's all about balance, man. I mean, so they shut it down. I have two phones for a reason. <laughs> and, and this is probably what helps me be most successful is like, hey. I work Monday through Friday, Friday evening, Friday afternoon, probably like 6.37. I turn my phone off. I turn my work phone off. I have a completely separate device that I only use for work. I don't have my work email attached to my personal phone. I don't do work on my personal phone. I come into my house, and if I don't want to do work, I leave my personal phone in the kitchen, as long as it's like after hours, obviously, you know? But it's really about that balance. Like, And then probably Sunday evening, I'll turn it back on. And then that way I give myself space to do things that I want to do. You know what I'm saying? Like on the weekends, I really have a life, have balance so that I can come back and be inspired and not burnt out by my idea. Because turning an idea into a real, a real life um, business or a real tangible thing is exhausting. That same energy, complaining about the problem, figure out solutions you can think of, right? Uh, so one of the problems that I see in the tech industry it's kind of like the gap to even start coding, right? It's like people come from so many different types of background. Like some people grow up with computers in their houses. Some people grow up using the, their phones for internet. And like even just getting people to the same typing level, to, you know, like get them all on the same pace to code is, is difficult. So one of the things that I've been really passionate about over the last two years, especially working, you know, on the cutting edge of industry, uh, of many industries from the financial sector manufacturing sector, the healthcare sector, so working with some of the world's largest companies, is I've really been looking at what jobs are coming out in the future and really figuring out how we can prepare our kids for jobs that are that are going to be coming out before they hit, right? So it's not like with coding where it comes out, it's a big skill, and then we kind of got to like catch up and start learning. So one of the things we're going to be doing uh, starting in the month of October out here in the Bay Area is we're going to be teaching kids how to fly a drone. So I'm super excited about that. Um, major, major, making major moves to get a bunch of inner city youth certified oh. as F or FAA certified as drone pilots. So just super excited about that. You guys can look out for the movement. It's Hack the Sky. Super excited. Um, if you have a sibling who wants us to bring the program to the school, it's an extremely low cost program. That like we have drone insurance included. We provide the drones, the curriculum. We'll come in and teach your teachers how to teach it. Uh, we really just want to empower as many people as we can to really be up, not just on drone technology, but all aeronautical, aeronautical technologies as well as aerospace technology. So we're also looking at partnering and doing some work to teach kids how to like understand the way rockets work and understand the way the solar system works on a deeper level so they can start ideating around like space technologies as well. Super dope. Um, 
So you, you said that you can go in and they teach can be anywhere in the United States. Are these just schools in Oakland or can it be like school anywhere? close to an airport? Just because the airspace may be restricted, we may not be able to fly the drones there. Right. So we may have to like do it indoors mm-hmm. in the cafeteria or something. But uh, for the most part, we're, we're, we're looking at starting in the Bay Area in October. By January, we're going to be in Seattle. Hopefully we're bringing it to Atlanta by March or April or sooner if there's individuals out there who want us to come and bring the program. So it's uh, basically any individuals who are 16 or older and can pass a TSA background check. There's no like actual flight requirement for the certification, um, but we do provide uh, over 80 hours of flight training to the people to make sure that not only do they get the certificate, but like we pair them up with local media companies for internships. So think like your local news station or you know actual professional videographers who are shooting videos for construction companies and actually let them get hands-on experience using the drones in the real world. <laughs> it, especially in Atlanta, with all the movies going on. <laughs> like, you know, they're already, uh, uh, they're already filming, you know, like the next Avengers. And so I've seen some of the cuts of they They use a lot of drones on their... Uh, on their, uh, That's funny. Shout out to you know, brother White Dave. Shout out to Ryan Coogler. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> shout out to, to White Dave. I know he's got a project dropping soon. Oh, nice. Musician um, is amazing. Yeah, dope. it's just. I mean, that's um, the I mean, other thing about the whole family is amazing. Um, something about the energy here, right? Like this is the birthplace of so many movements of the 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 Black Panther Party of the the LGBTQ rights movement across the whole country, like so many revolutionary, like the tech movement, so many tr- like, like transformative uh, like, like programs or organizations or, or products come out of this area in particular. And I don't know what it is. You know, some people say it's the energy. Some people say it's just the way that the community is and, and still interacts. But it's just something amazing about like the types of artists that come from here. Like everybody loves the, the R&B singer ATR. She's from Vallejo. That's right down the road. You know, everyone loves G Easy and Kaylani and your your Ryan Kuglers and your you know what I mean? It's just crazy. I keep hearing G Easy. Uh, I keep you know, I haven't listened he's, to him, but I keep hearing that name. I'm his music's really cool. Out. He also Actually, has a really think... dope personal story and does a lot of dope work. Like his mom is um his mom was LGBTQ. He lost one of his parents to suicide when he was younger. So now like all the work he does for the community centers around like, I think he just gave, like, $2 million to the largest LGBTQ homeless center, like, in the country. And it's in San Francisco to, like, make sure that kids who are, uh, you know, LGBTQ don't have resources, don't end up in the same path or have the same struggles that his mom did. Despite being, like, a multimillionaire rapper who could, like, give his money to anything, he, he's still giving back to his lineage, you know? So it's really cool. Got a lot of respect for him and his music stuff, too. Cool, cool, cool. What um, I I think the drone thing is going to be just I think that's gonna be super dope. Like honestly, I'd be open to taking a class. <laughs> like I think I think that's gonna be uh, super dope, especially when we see companies like Amazon where they're doing with the drones. Um, you know, with plenty of other companies and stuff are gonna start doing. Especially in my in my opinion, I think when five G really hits. Like, I don't know if it's just uh, really 5G. I think scale. 5G is I, I one think part of it, but I think that we also don't have um, enough computing power to like 
really work on i don't think we have enough like high high performance computers just yet to scale to the type of like sci-fi solutions that we we see right so like the world where like you just walk into a target and it changes advertisement because it knows it's you like we won't be there until we have enough computing power to run those type of solutions on a global scale for like seven billion people you know what i mean and we're just not there yet. So I think with some of the advances that we're making in quantum computing, mm. once we get to a place right. where we can like do processes that would take traditional computers hundreds of millions of hours in like an hour or two, right? I think that's when we're really going to see the transformation. 5G is definitely going to enable it, but I think we really are, are, are a pretty, pretty straight shot away from being like full, uh, what was that movie? Like Minority Report, right? Like we don't, have that ability to even like power those devices on that scale by like just ingesting the, the data from them. So we'll be there, just not yet. 5G is certainly part of it, but also we need quantum computing and it's coming. It's funny. It's funny. I was, I was looking at a video. I was doing some research on, on quantum computing because I didn't understand mm -hmm. it and one it, it made me uncomfortable. So that made me want to go under, understand it. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I've been I've been like looking at videos, YouTube University. Um, yeah, it's you know, crazy. Like, like most, a little bit on I mean, quantum, and I definitely see the benefits. It's definitely revolutionary. Like the dude who proved who who proved like some of the stuff about quantum physics true. Well, there, well, there's one guy who did it uh, with the particle that we use in Microsoft. He's probably gonna like end up winning the Nobel Prize in his lifetime. Like we're on like the cutting edge of of research, of physics research, of neuroscience research, of technological research. And like quantum computing just like coming down the line, it'll make it so like stuff that entire data centers. So you're talking like high performance computers that can like run all the financial transactions in the world off of Visa cards, right? Just as an example, I don't really know if that's what they use their data centers for. But like if you had like took that center and you could do that with just like the equivalent computing power of just like one laptop. Imagine how much more efficient our world can become when we can augment the things that we do in human life, not replace, but augment. So like think of nurses, right? Like in the ER and stuff, how they be searching for supplies. Like if you ever watch that show, Grey's Anatomy, they always be in there like crash cart. Where's the cart? Where's the this? Hand me this. And then they like take a couple seconds mm -hmm. to find it. Imagine if like we, we had like robots who could just go get that stuff for the nurses, like super quick or always knew where everything was. It was not even like an actual robot that would go get it. Just imagine if the nurse could say, I need this, and it would tell her where it is immediately because it had an IoT device on it. You know what I mean? Like, that's the type of stuff where we can really benefit from society. So as much as people think of like, right. ooh, spooky killer robots, like most of the development of these technologies are for good. They're to, they're to help us be more efficient humans. So even like drones, right? Like people think drones, they think the military, they think Syria, they think police departments spying on people. But the number one use of drones in the United States in, in like police offices and stuff is for like search and rescue missions. Like when they do have them, they just deploy them. So like if someone falls off the side of a cliff or if someone's like trapped in a really dangerous situation, they don't have to risk someone's life. They could just send a couple of drones over to check it out and see where the person is. And these drones have different cameras that you can switch out to like see thermal imaging. So if it's dark outside, you could actually find the person without having to go out there and like look around for hours. Like it, it makes life better in certain ways. The number two use of drones in the US is precision agriculture. So you're talking about farming, making sure that like 
crops are growing better, getting more yield out of your crops, like producing more food in a world where we're having more people without having to put more people in those type of labor conditions. You know what I mean? And so it's really cool. Like just as much, I, I feel like all things in balance, right? So just as much right. as there's potential in the world for there to be like, ooh, crazy killer robots, there's also potential for really, really cool solutions. But if you don't see yourself or you don't imagine a world where those you are a participant in those worlds, like what will your personal assistant be like, Marlon? When like it gets to the point where you get like a new speaker out the box and you get to customize your personal assistant, like what will your personal assistant be like? You know, and if we're not imagining that world, like, yo, one day we're going to have cars that don't drive on the ground and we're going to have them drive us around. Like, what kind of car do you want? What type of things do you want people to consider when they're building these solutions? And start imagining yourself as a participant in this reality as opposed to as someone is just going to happen to. And. And. Find a way to just say that to participate. Man, what's what's crazy is most of the stuff that we're seeing just sit on the sideline. was complete yeah. science fiction like 30 years ago. Like when my aunt and my mom and my dad were like 20, all of this stuff was like, yeah, right, you're crazy talking about quantum physics and you're crazy thinking that we could have devices where we could watch TV while we walk around on the street. Like all of this stuff was just not at all seen as something that was possible. But because people... Thirty, look, 30, 30 years That's ago. Look, think about That's this. True. I, the iPhone's I mean, ten years shoot, old. I mean, I was a kid when the first color <laughs> cell phone came out. I feel super old saying that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when it was that Verizon right. flip phone, I remember yeah. that. But, you know, it really sure. is. Thanks, Marlon. Seeing these things and seeing yourself as a part of this experience. And the more that you are able to learn about these technologies and also share your knowledge so other people can learn from you, the, the larger impact you'll have when this reality is being shaped. Like a lot of people don't recognize you already interface with artificial intelligence. It's in your traffic lights, right? It's your banks use it behind the scenes. Your, your, uh, you know, your, your, your hospitals and stuff use it uh, behind the scenes. They, they use it in their day-to-day processes. Insurance companies use it to make decisions about claims. Like, this stuff is already real, right? This stuff is already real and it's already here. So instead of putting it off as like some crazy, like, oh, I can't know, it's like the, the bots are coming, the drones are coming, like tech is coming. It's like, hey, why don't you take a step back and envision yourself and in a world where you are not only just a creator of this narrative, but where you get to be a shaper of it. Like you get to like say, because you have access to the technology, I want an AI that can do this. I want a bot that can do this, right? That solves your problems. Like, that's the thing. Like, so that's really all inclusivity is, is just including different perspectives. So start by including your own. <laughs> and, and solving an issue for your, you know, community, uh, you know, genre, you know, wherever you're coming from. Um, like you said earlier, you know, people might be solving issues and stuff that they, they see. You need to solve issues and stuff that you see. Man, this has been great, enlightening, um, engaging, phenomenal 
conversation. Uh, uh, Instagram at X. Tech where where X. can the people find you? Uh, Twitter at Tech with X. So that's just T E C H W I T H X. Uh, if you guys want to chat with me or learn more about what I'm doing, you go on my Instagram and in my bio. There's a link where you can book time on my calendar. I'm always open to the community, always open to discussions, always open to knowledge sharing. And also, if you have something really cool you're working on or something really cool to teach me, I'm always down to learn. Sweet. Um, man, guys, girls, reach out to her. I mean, if you can, if you could not uh, recognize within the first pretty much thirty seconds of this conversation, she's phenomenal. Um, you know, she is not only have been a friend uh, throughout this process; she's been a mentor, a guider, um, a leader um, of the community, and I am fortunate, thankful, grateful um, that I can call on her. Um, grateful that I can, you know, reach out to her. And it's been an absolutely treasure to have something, to have someone as such as her in my corner. Um, These are the reasons why this um, I'm going to win because of people like her and other people, you know, that has been in my corner, you know, believe in me sometimes without even believing myself. And the reason I'm saying this is because the person that's listening to this, this is the exact same reason why you need to keep going because you're going to be the next ex and you're going to have to inspire and be supportive of the next Marlon. And hopefully better than X <laughs> and hopefully better than Marlon. Um, and that's the goal here to create a path to make it a little bit easier for the people that's coming behind us. And so... Guys, girls, uh, my name is Marlon Avery. If you don't follow me on Instagram, it is Marlon.Avery, M-A-R-L-O-N, dot Avery, code podcast, code podcast on Instagram, code underscore podcast on Twitter. Uh, leave a review on iTunes. Uh, let's see if we can get our ratings up, which we have. We hit a new record today. On the listens, a new record today on the Instagram page. It's been three weeks, and we have 500 followers on the Instagram page. You you guys are awesome. Uh, I am blessed not only to have her. I am blessed to have you. I do not take any of this for granted. I've been through the struggle. I know what it looks like. I still can taste it in the back of my throat right now. <laughs> like So... Uh, I don't take any of this for granted. I am always, always open for questions, uh, always open for a conversation, no matter where you are in the world. Instagram does not have a zip code. (laughs) Hit me up.